Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Hello. We have an exciting and very fun special occasion episode. Yes, and it's so much fun that we're having fun even though we're kind of sick. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We got hit with what is probably the flu. Yeah, and don't worry, we did test. We do not have COVID again. You don't have to worry about us being off the radar for weeks at a time like the last time. Um, We're doing well. But yes, if you can hear the the little bit of frogginess in our voice, yeah, we're real congested. It's cool. It's fine. We're here to have a great time. We are here to have a great time. And part of that great time is that we have an amazing episode with the filmmakers behind the new hybrid documentary on HBO, You Were My First Boyfriend, directed by Cecilia Adorando and Sarah Enid Hagee. We talked to both of them over Zoom. You'll be able to hear that conversation in just a little bit. But for those who are unaware of what this documentary is all about, here is your synopsis. You Are My First Boyfriend is a feature-length documentary in which filmmaker Cecilia Alderondo revisits her 1990s adolescence, a generation after she thought she'd left it all behind. And it is so heartwarming and also Mm -hmm. so many times I'm just like, Totally. I really had no idea what to expect um, (laughs) when it came to this documentary. And full disclosure, if you have not seen it, we do discuss some plot points during the interview. But there are aspects of the film that we did not discuss during the interview because I really wanted people to watch it and experience that because I know some of you listen to our episodes, even if you've not seen the movie. Um, but I, I, there are just some, some reveals that happen that I think were better left, you know, I, I want, I want it to wash over people the mm-hmm. way that it did for me. Oh, just you cried so many times. I cried so many times watching this and it was both like beautiful. This is so heartfelt. This really means to me crying. And at the same time, there was some moments where it was like, this is reopening a wound that I either wanted to forget that I ever had or I don't remember having. And now, oh, I'm remembering. Um, It was really a transformative experience. So getting the chance to talk to the filmmakers behind it was a real big deal. Yeah, I think that there are some like lower profile films that we get to do on this podcast. And this is like a really special one because it's like, a documentary, but also not a documentary and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, obviously, I'm just like, man, but like Baby Assassins is the best movie ever and people should watch that one. Give that a low profile movie some more attention. Mm-hmm. But as far as like what we do and what this movie is achieving, like 
this is the best thing that we could ever possibly cover on this podcast. For real, though. Like, we talk all the time about how there are, like, these heavy hitter films that we talk about and, you know, ones that people ask us to do all the time and totally, we'll we'll get to them all. But as far as, like, sharing the soul. Yeah, like, like thinking of a movie that describes, like, what it is we are trying to do with This Ends at Prom, this is the movie version of what our podcast is all about. Yeah. It it's just it's beautiful. It's reflective on pop culture. It's reflective on your feelings. It's honoring who you were as a teenager and also, you know, forgiving your teenage self now that you're an adult, but also being okay with the fact that the things that you felt when you were a teenager, even if they were silly, they were real. They matter. It, they matter. And like it helps shape who you are as a person. So, you know, I'm like. I'm like kind of getting choked up thinking about how just healing and moving and powerful this documentary was and hoping that our listeners will join us in wanting to kind of like spread the gospel of this film because it's so important and wonderful and you know documentaries don't get their due enough as is. Oh, I love a good doc. I love a good doc, like but I feel so like much. I feel like the true crime sort of bubble has sort of taken over the docusphere a little bit, which is so frustrating because like this is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just everything that I love. And I love that we got to talk to them about it and have this like very candid conversation. And we talk a bit about our own experiences and, you know, we get a little bit more insight as to how they were feeling making this film and. It's just, it's a really wonderful conversation. I feel very honored to have been able to have it. Oh, yeah. Like, we get to do cool things because of this show every now and then, right? Yeah. It's really nice. It's <laughs> it's really nice because I, I think, especially in, like, an extremely crowded film podcast sphere, because it feels like everybody has a film podcast, the fact that what we do is seen as valuable because people are still making this art and they are still making art that values the opinions of, you know, teen girls or people who formerly were teen girls or people who love teen girls. And mm-hmm. that it, it means something. It's it's really nice to feel like what we do is important and to see this film and be like, oh no, we yes, this we are on the same wavelength here. This is the same sort of journey we're all going on. We've done something right here. I feel like I think I mentioned this during the uh, the part where we recorded with them, but like I really love the post Pen Fifteen world that we're all living through. I know we're just a bunch of adults really go, going back in, you know, mm-hmm. diving in and just rediscovering and unpacking a lot of things about themselves that they weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like you're not supposed to, mm-hmm. especially if you're a woman. It's like yeah, it does matter, it, but it, do- it but, matters but it does. a lot. And I think it's. <laughs> Really enlightening and awesome, and I think it's just, uh, we, we should just get on with this. I think so, too. So we are going to head into everyone's favorite part of the show, and when we come back, you will get to hear our interview with the filmmakers behind You Were My First Boyfriend. Happy November, prom party. We have a very, uh, good month for you over on the Patreon this month. And by that, I mean we're doing 
Good Burger, and Goodwill Hunting over on the Sadie Hawkins dance. It wasn't supposed to plan out that way, but I was like, you know what? Let's just fucking rock it. Let's go. <laughs> For our musical milestone mini episode, um, apparently Gucci Gucci by Cray Sean just went platinum, and BJ lost her mind about it because she's a, a very unique apologist for that song. So we're going to dive into Cray Sean and kind of trashy white girl rap a la Kesha's TikTok and things of that ilk. We only have two more months left of My So-Called Life before we are finishing up there. So we're cruising on with that. In addition to all of our awesome, good bonus episodes that you're going to get over there, the Patreon will also have the monthly playlist, BJ's wellness newsletter, and of course, the suggestion box so that you can go ahead and just throw some of your favorite movies you would like us to discuss out there. In addition to all of the things that we have in the back catalog that you can explore at your leisure. As always, if you're not able to support this month, we totally understand. Um, the world's in, in, a, in a state right now, so like we, we're not holding it against anybody. But if you have the means and there's not anybody else you haven't bothered about it yet, then recommend us to any like friends or family or whoever you think might like what we do. And go ahead and leave us a review. I just learned this month that apparently you can leave comments on Spotify, and I had a very fun time going through and reading seven or eight months' worth of those. (laughs) With all of that said, back to the movie. Today we have a very special treat. We are talking to the filmmakers behind You Were My First boyfriend. And just so that everybody listening at home can know whose voice belongs to who, um, I would love if y'all could introduce yourselves so that people know who you are, uh, what your role was on the film, and we'll get started. So uh, Cecilia, would you like to start? Sure. I'm Cecilia. I'm the director um, and a co-writer and I guess the star of this. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Wonderful. And Sarah. Hello, I am Sarah. I am probably going to talk too fast because I'm very excited. But um, let's see here. Well, I am a I am a co-writer with Cecilia. I'm the co-director. I'm the co-editor. I'm the co-sound designer. Um, <laughs> I have a I have a brief cameo in the film. <laughs> so this is such a lovingly labor-intensive project with people wearing many, many hats, which I think, like, watching it and watching the credits and seeing just how much the two of you did was very overwhelming to to process. Um, So the first question that I have, though, is what was sort of the genesis of this project? And Cecilia, that's probably something for you. What compelled you to make this film yeah um well I like to say that it comes from a combination of like uh how do I say this um seething resentment um (laughs) revenge (laughs) fantasies um sadomasochism and morbid curiosity (laughs) combination of those feelings um I'm somebody who absolutely hated high school and um when I was about circling around the 20 year reunion mark, I graduated in 1997. Uh, there was something that started to resurface. Um, also around this time, I rediscovered this diary that I had kept from when I was 14. 
and uh, remembered in particular this obsessive crush that I had on this boy from literally sixth grade through 12th grade. So it was a seven year kind of borderline stalker obsessive crush <laughs> that was completely unrequited. Every cliche in the book, like, you know, varsity athlete, um, didn't know I existed, blonde and blue eyed. For those that can't see me, I am a Puerto Rican, curvy, uh, basically none of those things that, uh, you know, take the box of popularity in high school in suburban central Florida in the 90s. And so, yeah, I was um, bullied. I, I, I really like I hated everything about and I used to say I had zero positive memories from my adolescence um and so that's kind of where I was starting and uh around this time when this reunion started coming up I I, I started realizing I was part of this what I think of as I realized is a kind of shadow tribe of what I call the over my dead body people who would never under any circumstances actually go back to that place and so then I started thinking well what if I did oh uh, it's a, it was that's where the morbid curiosity comes in it's like what if I just did this and so that's what the movie is in a sense um you know it's a hybrid film and that uh, I I go back in two senses of the word there's a literal return home which is in the documentary real world I go back to that 20th high school reunion I track down the high school crush uh, Etc. And then we also reenacted all of my what I call the primal scenes of adolescent horror, my worst memories um, from this time. And I play myself as a teenager. Uh, everyone else is 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 a you know the age of teenagers except for me, uh, with some exceptions, which we can talk about. But yeah, that's where it kind of came from. It was just this sort of bonkers idea that um, that came up, and I was like, "There's something here because it's so unresolved and it's so primal," and I. I hate it all so much. I've got to do something about it. <laughs> and and so Sarah, when this is kind of pitched to you, what about this made you say, oh, I have to get involved? Okay. Well, just for a little background, <laughs> I, I mean, I have been I already spent years consuming every teen thing, right? Like every teen TV show, every movie, um, and this is the first time in my career as a filmmaker that somebody approached me being like, I need your that specialty. <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not normally, you know, like how jobs are pitched to me. So, I mean, but beyond that, it was like, I, I just got it. I got what she was trying to do. I got the hybridity of it. Um, our reference, like, you know, she was referencing Heathers and Carrie and all of these texts that are just like, they're in my DNA, really, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so um, after the first time that we talked, I really, I wanted this so bad that I I wrote her afterwards and I, I scanned a page out of my teen diary, which I have here that I would like to read. Is that acceptable? Of Can course, I absolutely. <laughs> because um, I just, I was like, listen, I get it, okay? So <laughs> this is what, this is the passage. It isn't long. I'm so confused about this guy. Well, I'm not confused about the guy, but I'm confused about everything else. That's all. And then, and then I, I showed her my this copy of Carrie that I have and this picture of myself like as student of the month. I was just like, trust me on this, okay? I know this is gonna require a lot of trust <laughs> to, to do this together. And when we started, we didn't 
we didn't know what it was going to look like. I was just a consultant. Um, but every, after we started hanging out, it just was like, I don't know. It, it just was really natural. Like every, we made every decision together. We were, our minds were melding. It was really, really fun. And there wasn't, it just started snowballing really until that. That's why at the end there's like whatever these five credits or whatever. Um, but I don't really remember what your initial question was, but the point is <laughs> she was like, she was like, I really, you know, I really want to do these reenactments and I really want them all to pull from different teen movies and teen references. And I was like, okay, you have definitely come to the right place because I'm not going to stop talking to you about this now, like ever. So <laughs> after we watched this last night, I did have this moment where I was like, oh, this is going to be my whole personality for the next month is trying to get everyone I know to watch this movie. Um, I'll, you know, a little peek behind the curtain, our dear friend, Vanessa Guerrero, who is our guest on both Raw and Sydney White, the Amanda Bynes Snow White movie, uh, has a striking resemblance to Cecilia. And so I messaged her and I was like, okay, you're gonna watch this movie. You're gonna love it. Also comma, you're gonna lose your mind because it's gonna be like looking into a funhouse mirror of your own adolescence. And I'm just giving you that heads up now. And <laughs> she did a quick cursory Google search and went, oh, oh, this movie's gonna fuck my life up, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Can I say something about that? I think it's so funny that you use that phrase because funhouse mirror of adolescence is literally how I described this film in a treatment when I was like, pitching it and trying to get it off the ground so yes totally apropos <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I think so much of this movie is you know like you said it is this funhouse mirror of just adolescence but also how we remember things like the fact that you had such a crush on Joel and you have that scene of his name written over and over and over again and to know that like this was completely lost on him I think is very relatable to a lot of people <laughs> and yeah. the way that our memories kind of trick us into giving us a narrative that we just lock into and that's the narrative forever even if that's not the narrative that the other people in our lives shared or if they misremember it because memories are so personal yeah and I think another thing about this that was really motivating me and Sarah well from the very beginning when I started itemizing these you know, we had to figure out which memories to reenact. And mm -hmm. Sarah was a big part of that. She was like a sounding board and we would sit down and I would just sort of tell her my stories. And then we would pick the ones that we thought were the best. But what we ended up realizing was that I had an uncanny amount of memories that were very archetypal. They were very teen movie. Like I had a lunchroom humiliation scene memory. I had a dance scene memory. I had a PE memory, which unfortunately did not make it into the final cut. Um, uh, but we just had all of these. I went, I realized that I went to that kind of cliche high school with, you know, like I, if you remember in uh, Mean Girls when they're mapping out the lunchroom and you can mm -hmm. see that this is where the jocks sit, this is where the dorks sit. I mean, you know, Heathers did this. It's, it's one of these uh, things that I found to be true. So, so I was also really interested in how much is what I remember actually something that I'm taking from a movie? Like, am I making a movie of my life in my memories? Is it is my crush on Joel 
happening because I genuinely had a crush on him or is it because I saw 16 candles you know <laughs> that kind of thing so like memory melding with pop culture was something that was really animating us well and also those ideals I mean thinking about I was just thinking about like our crushes in high school and if they were like the amalgamation of all these things that we were projecting onto them like it's this it's just incredible impossibility of being like Jordan Catalano and also like uh, Ray Fines, you know, simultaneously. <laughs> but no, but you you think about that though, and when it comes to your crushes in high school, how many of them do you actually spend time with? So even in the even in the moment, I think there's this feeling of like you projecting your ideal version of somebody onto them because you don't actually know who they are. Right. And then you just run with that narrative for like the rest of your life. Oh, 100%. I mean, so one of the things that we cover in the movie is the fact that there's a little bit of a Pearl Jam connection to this crush on Joel, which is that Mm -hmm. for those that are not familiar with the the song Yellow Lead Better, this is like a bit of a Pearl Jam B-side that was really popular in the mid 90s. And I, for some reason, decided to send the lyrics to that song to Joel I had heard somewhere that he was a musician and that he was learning guitar. This was in middle school. Okay. And I, so, so I had these like fantasies that basically he was like a version, a proto version of Eddie Vedder. Like this is like seventh grade guy, (laughs) you know? And so I sent these song lyrics to Joel, like with no name, no return address, you know, totally anonymous kind of, you know, love note in the mail And when I finally sat down with him years later, one of the things he said to me was, oh, I remember getting that in the mail. And I put those lyrics on my piano because I was learning the song. And I was like, aha, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) You were an artistic genius all along. (laughs) Everyone thought you were just the varsity guy, but no, I loved you for good reason. (laughs) Anyway. So considerate of you because not exactly the most uh, intelligible Pearl Jam song to understand the lyrics to without them in front of you. <laughs> I know. Well, this is the other thing. It was like very early internet days. So it was like, I don't even think the lyrics were even correct. So it was like, <laughs> it was like mumbo jumbo upon mumbo jumbo. But like nobody so knows romantic. what he's saying. Like no one knows. I don't no think he knows, knows what he's saying half the time. Not. I think I've read that people have asked Eddie Vedder over the years, like, what is this song even about? And he goes, uh, uh, who knows? You figure it out. <laughs> right. well, when you're like 13, it's the deepest thing possible. Oh, it's poetry. <laughs> Pure poetry. And okay, so you brought up the Jordan Catalano of it all. And I have to talk about that so our listeners know but on our patreon harmony and i are currently going through a rewatch of my so-called life because uh part of the appeal to the show is that a lot of the seminal things that i hold very sacred harmony missed all of it so i get to introduce it to her with fresh eyes and she has no preconceived notions so as far as she's concerned like jordan catalano also comes with the baggage of jared leto the human being um (laughs) which is a fascinating like that's a lot of baggage too that's miserable there's so much baggage (laughs) but it was really fascinating to watch her kind of light up when you do this reenactment because we just watched that episode She's like, oh, I get it. I get the Angela Chase, just the the how she sees him. So my question for you know the both of you is, what is it about Jordan Catalano? Why did we all love him? 
Well, it's funny because I think I have to credit Sarah for helping me, uh, you know, really cure me of this Jordan Catalano crush because I think when we started, I was still still weirdly enthralled by him and that what you just asked was literally what I asked Sarah like what what is it about him (laughs) and I don't know Sarah I think you should I think you should answer this because I really think you were the one who brought me the insight well I think I was cured by the time I wrote the lines that like he's a he's a haircut (laughs) (laughs) he's a leather choker he's a leather choker he's a he's a shearling jacket you know um it's the emptiness I mean there's there's just this vast expanse of emptiness to just like project so much into it's the it's the not there that's there I guess um and I mean that's the soft features and it's the sort of like feminine that you know I feel like in the 90s that was like a really big thing I was really into Johnny Greenwood I remember who was like looked like he was you know like this this wraith that was dying and um so very very much a wilted flower very very uh, wilted flower is yeah very very accurate so it's um yeah I I think it's it's the not it's like what he doesn't give you (laughs) is it the potential of him is that what it is like oh hey he's He's like an empty bucket. He could hold something, but in and of himself, he's just a bucket. I mean, he is he is a perfect receptacle for unrequited desire. Like, you know, but I think I think it's also like this is something I say in the film. So for those that haven't seen the film, we actually reenacted like very as faithfully as possible a pivotal scene from my so-called life. And my partner in real life, Gabe, plays Jordan and I play Angela. And so I'm talking to Gabe about this and I'm like saying to him, you know, sensitive girls like me needed boys that we could reform. And it's something that I didn't realize, like my crush on Joel, the, okay, so the movie is called You Were My First Boyfriend, which is kind of a weird title, but it comes from this idea that like, I think that we are societally programmed to completely dismiss teenage girls, but in particular, like any kind of teen desire that's not requited, if you're not actually like, having a real boyfriend or girlfriend at this age, then it's sort of, then it doesn't count. It's not real. And I, I was somebody who did not like have it, a, my first quote unquote real boyfriend didn't come until like, I was like 25. So like, same, right. <laughs> so then it's like, well, when what, you know, you don't exist. You're not a real person. You're not a whole person. And so I think that for, I, at least for me, as somebody who was chronically feeling like I was on the outside looking in, like the crush on Joel set into motion a kind of pattern, which is that, you know, I could have made a totally different movie where I tracked down all of my unrequited loves <laughs> and Jordan would have been among them, you know, like <laughs> is, is your like perfect prototype of an unrequited love. And like, even when he does, you know, g- give Angela attention, he's such a dick about it that it's like, He's, you know, he's, he's, he's just, he's a, I don't know. I think he's like a a cautionary tale. He's a disappointment, but he's also Mm -hmm. like, he's also such a symptom of like the, the misplaced affection that, that, you know, some people put on shitty partners, you know, that we like, we, it's like a low self-esteem thing. It's like, oh, I'm like, I'd rather like take crumbs from this shitty guy because he's like kind of hot and kind of mean to me you know, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. It's a thing that I think a lot of people go through. Mm-hmm. He is just the poster boy for like, daddy, I can fix him. <laughs> like... 
Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like he's, he is, you know, he is a, a cautionary tale in part because he seems like he's more than he is, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, you yeah. want to think, oh yeah, he's really smart deep down or he's really, he's misunderstood. And, you know, that kind of, you know, he's a real project. Yeah. Cause he always looks into the middle distance and that's where the wisdom is. Right. Right. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And not that just he's just drifted away. Exactly. <laughs> just head empty, no thoughts inside. Uh-huh. <laughs> and in thinking about sort of, you know, this this idea of unrequited love, I couldn't help but think about Janine Garofalo in Romy and Michelle and how whenever she talks about Ellen coming, she gets extremely defensive of like, it was not a thing. It was not a phase. It was very different. There's a difference Mm -hmm. and how defensive she is of that crush. And I think that that goes hand in hand with what you were talking about of this idea that's, you know, teenage desire, whether it is for a real person that you see at school or, you know, your favorite band, anything like that, it does get dismissed as trivial when you know, looking at what we're going through right now. And I think about like, like the Eras tour with Taylor Swift, for example, there is so much power <laughs> with like the rabidness of teenage obsession. Um, it's also very profitable as we have <laughs> come to find. Um, yeah. And I don't understand why the disconnect lies. I do. It's misogyny, but <laughs> the disconnect <laughs> of we have so much evidence that shows that teen desire, especially teen girl desire is powerful. And yet so many of us spend our entire lives processing whether or not what we were feeling was either accurate or appropriate or worth something. And so in watching this movie, like I felt myself doing the same thing for myself of looking back at my memories and my high school experience and the things that I didn't want to address that then came flooding back, uh, specifically um, your, the, the scenes with Joanne and having the recognition, the recognition of my high school experience was shit, but it was also way worse for somebody else and how we kind of block that part out. So I wanted to ask uh, Cecilia, like, like how do you even approach reopening these sorts of wounds and also inviting someone else onto this journey with you? Yeah, well, it's funny when as you're talking, one of the things that I'm remembering is I, I when I was you know putting together a, another early treatment, I found this quote from the screenwriter of Heather's, where he says something like, you know, Heather's was the first film to address adolescence as a Shakespearean battlefield that means everything or one of the first or something like that, but he calls it a Shakespearean mm-hmm. battlefield that means everything. And I, in, in making this film, like I really came to like re-recognize how adolescence is the opposite of unimportant. It's actually this microcosmic place where young people learn how to be shitty adults or good adults or decent adults. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, you often see the ways that, you know, teens are treating one another is like replicating what they learned from their parents. And, you know, there's all these kinds of like, way, it's a mini society where people are learning how power works and how abuse works and how, you know, how to, how to build community or, 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 or ostracize, you know, so you know, related to that, you know, that's part of the reason why obviously like bullying is part of the story here. Um, but I think that, you know, it took me making this movie to understand 
the extent to which I had I had internalized a lot of the shitty ideology that I was also like pushing back against. And, you know, I just for context, like I grew up again as a Puerto Rican girl in this very, um, very waspy, very kind of white, um, bougie part of suburb of, of Central Florida where, you know, the values, and this is in the 90s in particular, where there was like, there was no such thing as body positivity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was like, you know, the ideals were, you know, thin, blonde, straight, uh, straight in all sense of the word, the hair, the, you know, identity, et cetera. Um, but to, suffice to say that like, you know, when I started making this film, there was a way in which I was like really consumed with my victim narrative. Um, like I'll just give another reference from, um, is it Billy Madison when, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a moment in Billy Madison when, um, when uh, Billy Madison calls up Steve Buscemi, who he, yes. who, <laughs> who he bullied and he's like trying to apologize to him for bullying him in school. And then, and then when they hang up, Steve Buscemi goes to his wall and it says people I want to kill. And it has a list of people that he crosses off Billy Madison's name. I mean, that was me. I was like the Steve Buscemi. Like, I was like, I want to kill these people. I hate everyone. I was very consumed by my own victimhood. And this is all a roundabout way of saying that, like, it took me making this film to realize, like, I was shitty, too. There were ways in which I was an active participant in these dynamics. And, you know, I think that you know, it was emotionally very hard to tackle this stuff, but it was also, I don't know, this kind of quest for understanding and justice that was motivating me. So, you know, I, as Sarah and I would talk, it was, I just remember one of these things coming up over and over again, which was this memory I had of this girl, Joe, who was, you know, had it way harder than me, was just, you know, there, I was, I had a hard time, but like, she was just brutalized, you know, she had, um, she, she, she hardly spoke. She was, um, just constantly being harangued by people. And, um, anyway, I don't want to give away what we, what, the, the scene that we reenact in the film, but, um, suffice to say that, um, you know, I tracked her down in real life and we reenacted, um, something that had happened to her. And when I, when I found her, um, this was the first thing she mentioned. Like she had been thinking about this for 20 years, more than 20 years, like 25 years. And, um, you know, as I sus suspected, it was a really brutal thing that had happened to her. Um, so anyway, that's like a long way of saying that I, I think that there's, um, I think it's important, like one of the paths to like reconciling these these painful things is is to say, well, hang on a minute, like, what part did I actually play? Was I an agent in any of this? You know, where where did I have it wrong? Um, and so the film really does try to like question, you know, the very things that I started with. Hello? Hi, is this Danny McGrath? Yeah. The Danny McGrath that graduated from Nib High School in 1984? Uh, yeah. Who's this? Um, this is uh, Billy Madison. You probably don't remember me, but I, I went to high school with you. Um, I, I kind of gave you a hard time back then, and I did some things that I thought were funny at the time, but now I realize they were just mean and, and stupid, and I uh, just wanted to apologize, and I hope you forgive me. Yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. It's no problem. Wow, that's great. Um, well, I am sorry, and uh, 
maybe we can get together sometime and uh, and have some coffee or something. Sure, I'd like that. Okay, well, I'll see you around. Okay. Bye. And Sarah, a question that I have for you is I had two realizations in watching this is that one, um, this movie is the closest thing we have gotten so far to an actual book accurate depiction of Carrie. Um, <laughs> because we finally have a fat Carrie, which is like the one soapbox that I'm never getting off of. Um, <laughs> so seeing those, you know, visual uh, cues from De Palma, you know, fantastic. Um, but how is it filming these sorts of things, knowing that like, yes, they are being pulled from references, but also they're being pulled from people's real lives. And there's there's some weight that comes with that. So what is that experience like? Um, I just listened to your Carrie episode today. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay. Like, I, I think, you know, we knew this, but I'm like, oh my God, like, Hannah is Hannah is our Carrie White I mean mm -hmm. Hannah is although Hannah the person Hannah is who's so playing hot. Joe I should say what's that who plays the Joe actress, who, plays, yeah. who plays the actress Hannah her name is Hannah she plays Joe uh is so wise she knows herself really well she is mm -hmm. I I'm I'm hopeful for her because she's I feel like she's she's so wise beyond her years at this this point but I will say that Every every reenactment that we did held a lot of weight. Um, but when when I was, you know, when we were doing everything for Cecilia, I really was there to give her the space to to be, you know, to be in the headspace to do what she needed to do and just make sure that like the production was going, you know, like be like, I'll deal with the like that boring stuff and making sure like, okay, like we got the shots for the day or we, that sort of thing. But when we brought Hannah in to play Joe and then later we brought Joe in, it got really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and the first day that we worked with Hannah, when we shot the classroom scene where we, we recreated a split diopter shot from Carrie, um, mm -hmm. I did not expect this. I did not see it coming. Um, there was a bullying scene that is not completely included in the film now, but I lost it. I started sobbing. Like I had to like walk over to the side. The producer came, she just like wrapped, she works with horses. So I think she knows you got to just like squeeze the body, <laughs> you know, just like pull the body really tight. And she just like whispered in my ear and she was just like, I know it's so intense. It's so intense. It's so intense. And like, I didn't think I would ever stop crying. Like it was unbelievable and Cecilia was crying too but thankfully she like she pulled it together she went over she was directing it was fine but like I couldn't I couldn't it was so potent it was so real and um the other part of this is that Hannah had never acted before she was in drama class we got her from the um from Cecilia's old high school actually she's like in the drama class there but she really wants to act. And she was like, she was so game. She was so ready for it. <laughs> um, but we were scared for her, you know, like all these other young actors who like, you know, do commercials and do all this stuff mm -hmm. all the time. So there was that pressure too, of just being like all the lights and all the people milling around and like 
surely her just being like, I've never done this before, you know? Um, so yeah, like thinking about it now, my like heart is completely racing. And then of course, again, um, in the cabin, uh, there was a lot of tears. <laughs> Everybody cried. I think crew members cried. Like, um, the girls who were doing the bullying cried when they were describing how hard it was to be mean to her. Um, so, and then I think the other part of this that uh, we haven't talked a lot about is like sort of all the details that we tried to include in the scenes. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting in working with Joe is that it was like, then we had Joe who it was her experience and then Cecilia was a bystander and the way that memory works in these situations. And there was a really long conversation about, um, like, can we talk about, I mean, can we like talk about it sure. sort of? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, I mean, there's, it's like, so, you know, there's, you know, it's a scene, it's very, a scene that's very reminiscent of a, like, Friday the 13th or something like that, but this girl, these mean girls put peanut butter and jelly in this girl's hair while she's sleeping, um, but there was a lot of conversation about what was actually used, and there was Joe's memory because she had smelled it, but then there was Cecilia's memory because she had seen it. And there was, mm -hmm. so there was a lot of, and we wanted to get it as accurate as possible. Um, and so stuff like that was incredibly, incredibly fascinating. And then even when we like brought, we're like, oh, smell this, does this smell? You know what I mean? Like in that moment, Joe being like, okay, I think it could be that. And um, it's like these little details, um, but I think we experienced the film and the making of the film and the pro and what we were doing and like, much greater depths in that experience. I, I speaking for myself, but I think Cecilia would agree. Yeah, and I, I think I also just want to say, like, it makes me really angry just thinking about it again, just how dismissive our society is of the ways that girls in particular behave towards one's, one another. Mm -hmm. um, plays Joe, you know, talks about her own experiences of bullying in this way. And like, there's a way in which, you know, this is what I mean about the microcosm, like adults conspire to reinforce the shitty values of society onto their teenage kids. And there were so many times that I felt like what I was experiencing or what I was witnessing was not thought of as important, was just thought of as something that was just normal and just happens and you're just supposed to get over it. And, um, you know, I think that was part of what mo was motivating Sarah and I while we were making this was like, we want to take these experiences like, you know, there's this like, I think notion that abuse has to leave a bruise or that, you know, a swirly in the toilet is somehow more violent than, you know, what some girls did to me at a summer party, which was like put glue in my toothbrush and the crotch of my underwear. Like that stuff was actually really like it, it scars you, it sticks with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's something that I, I did, there is a, a certain amount of like desire to avenge Joe in this. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not big. And when I say avenge Joe, like the bullies are, are the real people who bullied her are not in this movie. And part of the avenging is like us finding one another as, as fellow weirdos, as people who were, similarly um left out finding a connection in adulthood that is like well screw those people sort of like martha dump truck and veronica sawyer at the end mm -hmm. of heaven uh -huh. you know yeah something that in harmony i'll let you <laughs> you talk about it but um 
<laughs> there is a very poignant line from the Street Fighter movie. Um, uh, you can take it, Harmony. <laughs> this has just been a thing that I have been referencing on the show a lot recently because it just it's so profound and the world needs more Raul, Julia, unfortunately. But it's that uh, there's this scene in Street Fighters, the movie, where Chun-Li is giving this backstory about her village being destroyed and her father dying. And Raul's just like, oh, I don't remember any of this. The, the day that M. Bison came to your town was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was just Tuesday. And it's one, first of all, he's hilarious about it. But also, it's one of the most deeply profound things I've ever heard in terms of impact, where... Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just Tuesday. You don't even think about it. You don't even process it. You don't like, yeah, maybe you have a faint memory of it, but it's like an entire life defining thing for someone else. And you're going to spend forever thinking about it and being shaped by this. Like in terms of influence, it is something that you muse over and maybe muse isn't the right word, but it's like not a compliment in terms of it being like an influence. Like things can influence you negatively and there's there's a lot of that and most people don't realize quite how intense these minor things to them are to other people yeah De definitely i i had this moment and th there's like a couple of moments in this movie that sort of fuse together to create a a memory that i had and one of them was that i went to washington dc in eighth grade with a group of girls and there is a disposable camera and I don't know if my mom still has it or if it, you know, got thrown out when she retired, but I never got the film developed from this trip to Washington, D.C., because I know that when I was sleeping, they put tampons up my nose and took pictures with that camera. And I never wanted to see those photos. So there's an entire trip that I've never seen the pictures of because I never got it developed because I know that it's there. And I go back and forth, like some days I'm very grateful that I never got those photos developed. But then other days I'm really sad because there are memories on that camera with, you know, my Caroline is on that camera and I would love to have more memories of my Caroline. And I don't have them because the cruelty from someone else kind of just overtook you know that that experience for me and so um that is something I don't want to reveal on the show of like where the dot goes in regard to that but I do want to talk about the idea of you know those people in our lives that are so impactful but I mean we're kind of seeing it now in like our social media world where outrage and cruelty has become its own form of currency and you know niceness and positive memories are getting stifled and how our brain even does that to us and all this pain tends to override all of the joy and so I would love to know what it was like kind of exploring that and kind of unearthing because you are reopening wounds in this but also you're opening like it's like a present like you're also opening so much joy so what is that like yeah I mean I think well it's there's a way in which I was able to rewrite my own history um you know like I said at the beginning when I started this project I would say you know I have no good memories from this time and it was in beginning to revisit it that I realized that I had many many good memories of a friendship that you know we explore in the film with this with this uh, girl Caroline that I was friends with for at least 10 years. Um, and 
I think that in my case, like part of this is the film, I am trying to hold myself accountable gradually as the film goes. And part of that accountability is realizing that like, I made choices. I'm, I was, um, I, 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 in looking back and I've since made friends with, you know, people who were, who were also dorks in high school, but, but had the guts to be like, well, screw those people. I'm going to go hang with the nerds. I was a, a pathetic follower. I was a striver. I was trying to, you know, get a seat at the cool kids table. And I, you know, I think a lot of it was again, being a brown person um, surrounded by whiteness, surrounded by like country club values and feeling like, I also think maybe it's because I'm a Leo and I was like, I'm not supposed to be unpopular. <laughs> like, I'm like, I deserve to be at that table. But I just like, I was just sort of like relentlessly chasing popularity instead of valuing what I had. And what I had was this best friend. Like I, I was like always looking for a best friend when I already had one. And I was looking for a boyfriend like Joel when, you know, we actually didn't have anything in common, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think that that, um, yeah, I think that that's been a really valuable lesson, you know, into adulthood is also see the the parallels of like, when am I trying to, um, you know, get the attention and validation of people who don't actually care about me? Um, so, yeah, so I think that, um there's just something to be said for like, you know, and again, going back to to teen movies, like I remember when I first saw Mean Girls and I was like already in college and I just like sat in the movie theater and I was like, oh my God, like the Janice, like the, those characters, the friends in that movie, I was like, oh my God, why wasn't I like, why didn't I just hang with them? Why didn't I just stay, <laughs> stay home at on Halloween and like stay home on prom night? Like, you know, um, so yeah, it, it's it's it is one of those like big regrets, but I I I feel like making this movie is also a way of trying to honor those really beautiful times that I had that I had totally blocked out. And and Sarah, a question that I have for you is that we're obviously witnessing Cecilia's journey firsthand. Um, what is your journey like? Because I can't imagine that you just worked on this and went home and you were like, I have no unresolved trauma from high school. Like that doesn't seem like a, a an existence that is real. I'm a sociopath. Hello. <laughs> yes. So, you know, what was that like for you? Uh, which, okay, such a big question. <laughs> the whole thing. Everything. It's yeah. elephant, just, you know, one bite at a time. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's continuing to unfold. I mean, I think it was like with each phase, there was um, kind of like what you were saying, where it was like, okay, I didn't have that exact same thing happen to me, but but there are like these little pieces and you're like, oh, that's so weird. Like these little similarities where it's like almost this amalgamation of like almost the same experiences, you know? Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think I'm, it's, it's continuing, continuing to unfold. And, you know, I, I was there for the whole edit also. And so it's like, you know, we had all our plans and all of our intentions, and then you're, you're continually figuring out like, well, what is this story? And so in order to like, figure out what is this story, you also have to ask yourself like, well, what is the story, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and the story of self and the story of like, the value of life and um and what it means to grow up um I think about that I think a lot I think I was definitely the kid that like got left behind because I wasn't I wasn't 
growing up fast enough. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being sexual enough or I wasn't, you know, I still wanted to be a kid. And I think still to this day, it's like the, the friendships that I have now that I value the most are probably the the biggest loves of my life, the like the true romances of my life. And being with them, I feel all of my ages at once. You know, I feel I'm able to exist in every age at once. And I think that that's also sort of at the core of this idea of like, why we're referencing all of this pop culture and all of these teen movies. And I still love this stuff. I still get a lot out of it. A lot of it is so horrifying as we know, but oh, yeah. like, <laughs> I think it's this, this idea of like holding, holding all of these ages in yourself at once and, um, and being really gracious to that, to all of those people at the same time, you know, like owning all of those people and also forgiving all of those people. Oh yeah. Forgiving all of those people, I think is, that's the hard part. Like I'm hyper aware of who I was in high school. I was joke, like I was Tracy Flick, but goth, like that's, that was me in high school. Um, but that also means that there was a little bit of a mean streak in there. And I have to forgive myself for that and understanding, you know, we're all surviving the cruel politics and hierarchies of high school. And can I say something about this? Of course. Um, just because I'm thinking about Joe, the adult Joe, the real Joe. And when I met her, I expected her, she has every right to be way angrier and way more mm -hmm. resentful than me. And she was so grounded and kind of poised. She had already, um, done a lot more, I think work. I don't know. There was something about having gone through it that, um, she gave me a lot of grace. Like I felt so guilty for being a bystander. Like I, I think a lot about bystander dynamics and that like the fact that I didn't have the guts to say anything in the moment or afterwards. And I'm just like, it's really that, that honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know if you want to try it sometime, <laughs> like actually doing some, a version of what I did, but it was pretty incredible because I fully, she had every right to be angry at me, not just at the girls who did this to her. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of moment of grace that she gave me when I showed up in her life and was like, Hey, I'm sorry, this happened to you. It's instructive. I think. Definitely there. Yeah. It like this, this movie, I think I said it earlier, but like this movie is so healing in, in watching it because it, it really does kind of force you to regress a little bit um, in, in that's like a compliment of putting yourself back into that mindset and assessing what that was like. And um, I mean, Harmony can attest to it because she had to watch me watch the film and just oh, tears falling <laughs> repeatedly, just, like breathing heavily, like, and it was, a, it's like the breathing that you do when you're drunk at a college party is because you think you're about to throw up where it's just like, I got to recenter myself. I'm just overwhelmed with emotion. Um, but something that I found really, you know, interesting too, is, you know, Harmony has a very different lived experience and the amount of times that she would just pop up and be like, God, girls are awful. Like they're so mean to each other. Um, so Harvey, I was curious if you wanted to kind of share, you know, what it was like for you looking, like looking into kind of the secret world that we like to pretend is not part of the teen girl experience. 
Well, I mean, we do this a lot on this show. Um, I think, like, as a society, like, this is not necessarily the benchmark, but, like, a post-Pen15 world where is a lot of adults looking back on their teendom a lot more sincerely uh, than we did for a long time, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at because of how honest and how... I don't know, raw this is compared to like what we normally do on the show, which is fiction. You know? Fantasy. <laughs> Some, someone wrote this, the entirety of it, and it might be based on something, but they still wrote it. And like there are elements of this here, but it, the, the ugly moments are, are really hard, but the beautiful moments are so endearing and so, so great, especially because I... I've, like my life is very much divided. Like I don't have family videos. We didn't take a lot of those. I don't have family pictures. We don't talk to those people that have them. So it's fascinating for me to think about how, I mean, it's kind of a tragedy, honestly, that like large chunks of my childhood are just kind of like, it's Titanic. It's like, it exists only in my memory. <laughs> um, but I think it's really beautiful to have like evidence of, of like the, the, these artifacts of hu of humankind that existed long ago in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> and just being able to learn something from it being able to unearth things about yourself about it i think that it's just it's mean but also it's really beautiful yeah we i mean we did not expect to find all the home movies that are in there um, my mom found them. She keeps doing this to me. And my first film was also made because my mom found home movies. Um, but she found them luckily in time. And um, and it's really wild. You know, there, there are images. I had no idea that we had home movies of my childhood best friend, Caroline, you know, mm -hmm. from like at like multiple ages, like across different years. And, um, you know, it is... It's a very, I'm, I'm getting sort of sick to my stomach as I think about it, because it's not easy to look at that stuff, you know, when there's pain there. So I don't know, Harmony, maybe you're blessed in a way, because <laughs> it can be really, uh, it can be really potato, po potato, potato, I don't know, like, <laughs> pick your poison on that one, I guess the grass is green or whatever idiom you want to go with. <laughs> True. Yeah, I, I went through something a few years ago and my parents retired they actually retired to Florida they now live in uh like uh, the West Palm area and my mother is an incredibly sentimental woman and so she kept everything like every you know kindergarten drama club award seventh grade poetry whatever she could get her hands on old baton twirling competition score sheets from when I was like 11 like everything and her thought behind it was well I don't want to be the one that gets rid of this in case it means something to you which I do very much appreciate but digging through those bins and figuring out what stays and what goes was one of the most uh, difficult things I've ever done because you don't realize what memories are attached to things until you look at them. And some of it, like you, you haven't thought about in years, like your subconscious has been protecting you for a very long time from some of these things. Um, and something that I realized in watching this movie is an experience that I'm not going to get, which is just the concept of the high school reunion because Facebook has made it 
sort of irrelevant at this point. Like I know which kids I graduated with still live in the hometown, are still married to the people they went to high school with, who still work for, you know, dad's car dealership company, whatever you want to do. Like I know where everybody is. I know what they're doing. I know what they're up to. Uh, I know who's curating their lives on Instagram because everybody stalks each other and we all know. Um, So I would love to know what that experience was like of going to the reunion because I think this is becoming a it's becoming a dying art or dying experience for people Mm -hmm. well I I guess I want to lead by saying that I discovered that I have a fantasy high school reunion format that I don't think has existed (laughs) yet I think it might be in 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 a you were my first boyfriend innovation um but it came about because I was talking to somebody who was also a misfit in, um, in school. And I don't know how we got on the topic of, you know, going or not going to the reunion. And it was in making this film that I realized that there is like, like I said, the over my dead body people, like I hear you. Yes. Uh, the, the reunions are dying out probably for the best, but there is still a, a, a core contingent of people that go that, that (laughs) generally speaking, the people that go are not the people who suffered. Like there's mm-hmm. a reason why like a lot of people don't go. And I have this fantasy of having a reunion for us. Like, what would that look like? And so my theory is that high, like the ideal high school reunion is one where everybody's invited, but the rule is it's like a lock-in, like a carry style lock-in, but it's like a truth and reconciliation session where you are allowed to tell the truth about anything and you can't and then if somebody's confronting you you don't get to leave like you have to, <laughs> it's a it's just this like truth-telling bloodbath because my experience in going to the reunion and going like and then like studying reunions is like a anthropological phenomenon is that there are these really cruel nostalgia exercises there are these ways in which people are all performing this like phony version of themselves and the person that they they want to appear as but also you know only recalling the good old days only talking about like the remember whens and nobody's being honest about how much they actually hate each other (laughs) (laughs) or at least a lot of people and I'm just like that is the interesting stuff so it's just like I feel like there's such a deep toxicity to these reunions where everybody's just sort of going oh my god so nice to see you those were the days and I just like yeah I mean you know I don't ever have to do it again thank god (laughs) (laughs) like like, now I know what I've been missing and it's nothing I want to be a part of ever again um but um yeah no it was really uncomfortable and not fun but um it taught me it taught me something um yeah. So anyway, I do, I do fantasize because I, 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 I want, I want people to be honest about how shitty it was, you know? And uh, I think that people, and it's also like a very triggering thing to go back. And so why not let those, you know, those triggers turn into something real instead of pushing them back down and pretending. High schools as an institution <laughs> are, they're time capsules for trauma, like, because you walk in there and everything's sort of frozen in time and you know, like, like I said, Tracy Flick, very overachiever. There are photos of me in group activities all over the walls of my old high school. And I look at them and you're, everything's presented and it's posed. And it's like, oh, look at this champion team. Look at this, you know, you know, the pictures from the theater, not knowing it's like, 
the week before, like that person broke my fucking heart or like three days <laughs> later, like this sucked. And it's like, and people walk by those photos every single day and they don't know those stories. They only know like what they're looking at. Um, and so for, for Sarah, like looking in on, you know, this experience as kind of, you know, somewhat of an, of an outsider to Cecilia's experience, like, could you flag this? Like when watching this of like that person's full of shit, <laughs> Well, for the record, I was never invited to my high school reunion, which is amazing. Oh, no. It's very telling. <laughs> um, <laughs> might as well not exist. I might as well not exist, honestly. And my friend was like, oh, I think it's because you're not on Facebook. And I was like, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what I think the very first time that we ever met, um, Cecilia sh like showed me footage because she had shot the footage, um, you know, before we started working together. Um, I just... You know, you know, when people describe where they grow up and, you know, the pe what the people are like or whatever. But if she hadn't even described it to me, if I had just like looked at this footage, I would have just like, it's at a country club. Like there's a certain, you know, like the whole vibe, like the stuff, you know, like the way that people are drunk dancing. There's a kind of drunk dancing that is just like, oh, it's just tragedy. It just reeks of such tragedy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was like abundantly clear before it was like one of the first things that we ever even looked at. And some, uh, there was a moment that didn't make it into the film just cause it wasn't, the audio wasn't great or whatever, but where a woman made fun of Cecilia for bringing her photo album to the room. She oh. was like, you just have it sitting on your shelf. It's like, hello, 19 like she just couldn't believe I was like wait I don't understand like aren't you getting together to like remember but she was like appalled Celia had like brought this thing that was like one of those cloth bound you know like lace around little puffy paint beautiful job you know really mm -hmm. and she just was like she had to like talk shit about it she and was so just like oh my god I can't believe that you still have this yeah. that is so <laughs> weird Oh, wow. Like, I think that, like, especially when dealing with people like that, more than any other social interaction, maybe a high school reunion is, like, the zenith of it. But, like, this whole thing would collapse if people decided they don't want to take the high road in response <laughs> to things like that. You know, and I have to say that, so Sarah and I watched this movie called High School Reunion. I think it's called High School Reunion, right? It's a documentary. Yeah, I think so. It's a documentary by Sarah Jacobson, which I think you can find it if you can Google it. It's like, it's super lo-fi, but it's amazing. She goes to a reunion and she actually does what I didn't have the guts to do, which is she fully confronts people on camera. She was like, you were shitty to me. You sucked in high school. Don't even <laughs> talk yeah. to me. It's like, with the camera right here. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember I, after I went through the whole reunion experience, what was so uh, awful was realizing how much of a coward I was and how much I had kind of, I just, I immediately reverted to a follower status and was like smiling and, you know, chit chatting and, and small talking. And I was like, these are not my people. I don't care about your kids. I don't care about <laughs> your PTA meetings. I don't care. I sound like an asshole right now, but it's true. Like I have a totally different life. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I was very, I was just really well behaved. And so anyway, that's why Carrie is the ultimate teen revenge fantasy, you know? 
And unfortunately, that is about the time that we have with you today. And I will say for those listening, there are a couple major set pieces in this film that we didn't talk about. And I kind of did that intentionally because I really want people to experience them with like, I just want them to be overtaken by it. Uh, Tori Mm -hmm. Amos, of course, like you'll know it when you see it, everyone. Um, And it's just going to it's just it's gonna change your life this movie's gonna change your life I'm not gonna I have not stopped thinking about this since I saw it I'm it's gonna be something I think about I'm gonna talk about it in therapy next week it's gonna be great I'm really excited (laughs) about it um but before you go if there is anything that like if people can follow your work or if you have anything uh people can look forward to um now is your time to to plug it up so the film is available uh, worldwide, I believe, on HBO. So now called Max. Um, so definitely worth getting that trial subscription for, I think. <laughs> um, and we also think it's really um, best watched not alone. Like watch it with your friends, um, old and new. And uh, and uh, we are, I'm at Black's Crackle, Black, the word Black with an S, Crackle on Instagram. And Sarah, you are at? I am, it's my full name, Sarah Enid Hagee, which is also my Vimeo if you want to see some of my sketch work or things like that. And that's pretty much it. We're like, we're, we, we are one social media platform. We have no capacity. For <laughs> Instagram only. It's very simple. Oh, and we have an Instagram page for the film, which is first boyfriend film. So people can follow us there. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. This has been delightful. Congratulations again on just such a phenomenal movie that I'll say it again, I'm not going to be able to shut up about. And I can't wait to uh, be insufferable and annoying and very Tracy Flick about it. It's going to be great. (laughs) Well, can I just end by saying, I like to tell people I go home so you don't have to. So you can take the catharsis uh, by proxy and do what you will with it. Beautiful. <laughs> See, that is the thing with you plastics. You think that everybody is in love with you when actually everybody hates you. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed that conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. And I'm so proud of myself that I didn't cry. Yeah. Like no. five I'm, gold I'm stars proud for of me. You too. Um, <laughs> I also feel like, like, I don't want to speak for you on this one, but I'm, I feel like it's comfortable doing that. I think I got the feeling that people get with us all the time where I'm like, oh no, it feels like I'm just hanging out with my friends. Yeah. And I just want to talk to Cecilia and Sarah more because they're so wonderful. Right. Like I have this impulse now that whenever I see things, I just want to like send it to him and be like, hey, so what do you think about this? Like, cause we're friends now. We bonded. Kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. We're on the same, we're all on the same journey together and there's like mm-hmm. a special closeness that comes with that, you know? Yeah. It was really yeah, this this conversation was great. It just felt very affirming. And I just know, like, I know in my bones that this is a movie that anybody who likes our show is going to love. And I hope that you all seek it out. I am not sure what the international release plan is, but it is available on HBO and the streaming platform Max. Please seek it out. Let it wash over you. And Come talk to us about it. Like, mm-hmm. talk to us on social media. Talk to us on the Patreon. Whatever you can. Talk with us about it because I, I want to talk about this movie with everybody. I have not been able to shut up about it. I've been annoying everybody in my work Slack, telling them they need to watch it. <laughs> um, and I'd much rather annoy people about it who get it. And if you're listening to this podcast, then I know you get it. Mm-hmm. But with all that being said, Harmony, 
you were my first boyfriend. Dude, as, yes. As I figured. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't need to do the formalities. After all this, do you think I'm going to be like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> didn't work for me, bro. <laughs> yeah, absolute yes from both of us. Definitely the Sunset Prom approved. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I just want to thank everyone for listening to this episode and listening to this conversation. I just... It's just a lot of gushing. This is a very gushy episode, and I'm mm-hmm. very okay with that. BJ's doing a lot of wild hand gesturing. It she, it's keeping me from crying. I am going to get through this. She's without very crying. Italian, and also has a lot of strong feelings. I have so many feelings. <laughs> I am nothing but feelings. Right oh my now. god! I am a raw nerve. Speak, speaking of Italian, can we just share a joke that I that I killed both you and your dad with? Yes, you did get a Papa Colangelo approved. Italian roast joke, and uh, you are allowed to share. It wasn't even roasting. It was kind it's of a little bit, of a little roast roasting joke. indirectly, a little, bit, a little bit. Um, somebody was talking to me at work like a week ago, and they were like, "Oh, it's your last name," and I'm like, "Oh, Colangelo," and they go, "Oh, are you Italian?" And I said, "No, I'm way too tall." <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, there is a whole like Eddie Murphy bit about that. From one of his 1980s stand specials, either in Delirious or Raw. I think it's in Raw is mm-hmm. where it is, but that's what it makes me think of. Yeah. But I told that to uh, to my dad, and he laughed real hard. I love that. Um, your dad also got to learn what a short king was in that interaction. Yep, because I was like, "Well, yeah, Dad, we're we're short kings," and he's like, "I've never heard that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me." And I'm like, "All right, five nine, take it." <laughs> that's a lie. He's like five ten. Oh well. <laughs> He's only going to get shorter. Uh, Yeah, that's very true. That's very, very true. Oh, God. Well, on that note, we are going to head out. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. I suck so bad at using Blue Sky for the podcast, but it's at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky, at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor and over at uh, Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by You Were My First Boyfriend? This week we're shouting out a band called Shop Talk with an exclamation mark. There is a different Shop Talk and I had to figure out which one it was on social media where it's like, oh, there's some dudes from New York who are Shop Talk and then there's real Shop Talk, which is this (laughs) band, who are also from New York State. Um... No, they're super good. I feel like this is one of those bands that plays in your local scene and you think is awesome, like right out the gate. Nice. Um, From what I can tell, they formed in like March of this year. Oh, wow. And released their first EP like two weeks ago or something. Oh, cool. Um, I I really like it. I think it's got some awesome DIY punk vibes. I think that there's some really good variety on this like 20 minute EP. Like there's piano. There's like more shoegazy type alternative rock. I just think that this is maybe just comfortable for me because this is like the best local band Mm -hmm. that you want the best for. Nice. I think that fits the vibes of this episode. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So that's shop talk with an exclamation point. All caps. All caps. Shop talk. Shop talk. (laughs) All righty. We will see you all next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye.
Um, if you're gonna spew, spew into this. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.